My name is Jay Lasseter, and I am perhaps the most notorious ex-drug addict in all of New Jersey. I'm 45 years old. I don't drink. I don't gamble. I don't smoke cigarettes. But I like to smoke cannabis from time to time, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. This is Heroin Uncut, the truth about the crisis, brought to you by NJ1015.com and made possible by Carrier Clinic. Today's podcast explores the intersection between opiates and medical cannabis. Because like it or not, they're both happening here in New Jersey and elsewhere in America. I've always said that maybe, just maybe, if we regulated opiates half as zealously as we regulate medical marijuana, we could avoid a lot of hurt for a lot of people in New Jersey. On the one hand, you've got people addicted to heroin, many of whom got their start in a doctor's office. They're dying in record numbers. On the other hand, you've got sick people with cancer jumping through hoops just to access the one thing that actually helps them, medical cannabis. But opiates on demand, no problem. Any sick person in pain can get all the opiates they ever want pretty much anywhere in America. Eight states in America have legalized marijuana for adult use. Another 29 plus Washington, D.C. permit medical cannabis, including New Jersey, home of one of the most tightly regulated medical cannabis programs in America. For example, there are only five dispensaries servicing the entire state of New Jersey, all nine million of us. The fees are high and the rules are strict, presumably to dissuade someone from gaming the system. No cannabis. No medical cannabis for just a backache. But you know what you can get for just a backache? A bottle of Vicodin. That sort of thing actually happens quite frequently all over America all the time. The United States represents about 5% of the population in the world, right? So we represent 5% of the population, and yet we use 99% of the world's opioids, the world's oxycodone. It's ridiculous. The, the fact that that, is, that number is that high says we are doing very little to offer alternatives to opioids. So I can absolutely confirm through other studies that uh, the United States uses 99% of the world's oxycodone. That was Scott Rutter, the president of the New Jersey Cannabis Business Association. He's actually a former Republican lawmaker, and we met him back in episode four when we exposed who who's getting rich off of our addiction. He's back to help me sort out where cannabis fits into this whole heroin equation. First, full disclosure, I smoke cannabis. Medically, because I'm HIV positive, but sometimes just because I want to smoke cannabis. I'm 45 years old. I don't drink. I don't gamble. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't even drink coffee, but I like to smoke cannabis from time to time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I also use cannabis to help detox off the hard drugs that nearly killed me. It was mostly meth, but also opiates and cocaine. That's my own personal anecdotal evidence. And researchers have already demonstrated that in states where medical cannabis is legal, hospitalization rates for opiate addiction, they go down. I'm not the only one who's curious whether reforming our nation's marijuana laws actually leads to a decrease in opiate use. Oh, heck, maybe it's just one big coincidence that opiate rates are down in states where cannabis is permitted. But I don't actually think it's a coincidence. Turns out the government is curious just like I am. The National Institute of Health is set to fund a long-term study that examines the effect of legalized medical cannabis on opiate use. The $3.8 million five-year grant was awarded to researchers at the Albert Einstein Medical Hospital in the Bronx. They'll study whether medical 
marijuana leads to decreased opiate use for people who suffer with chronic pain. There's a lack of information about the impact of medical marijuana on opioid use on those with chronic pain, said Chinzano Cunningham, a physician at Einstein, in a statement. We hope this study will fill in the gaps and provide doctors and patients with some much-needed guidance. As state and federal governments grapple with the complex issues surrounding opioids and medical marijuana, we hope to provide evidence-based recommendations that will help shape responsible and effective healthcare practices and public policy. Today's guest is going to help me unpack all of that. He started with an example of how a drug maker, in this case, the maker of fentanyl, the most addictive drug in the history of mankind, just spent a lot of money to defeat a marijuana referendum out West. So last year in 2016, Arizona had a referendum where they were going to legalize cannabis. Now, Arizona has a medical cannabis market, right? So the medical cannabis has already had a negative impact on opioid manufacturers and opioids use. So we've seen it go down in Arizona and other states. Now they're talking about last year about legalizing a completely adult use market, 21 and over, like you see in Colorado and Washington. In these other states where you've seen uh, legalization efforts unfold, there's been pushback by big pharma, big alcohol and others, right? So there's been pushback. The pushback has always been because of a market share loss. And so what we saw in Arizona, this company called Insys, I-N-S-Y-S, Insys, is they're, they're an opioid manufacturer. In fact, they manufacture fentanyl, which is the same drug that killed Prince and you know Michael Jackson. And, and unfortunately, tens of thousands of others have overdosed off of, of fentanyl. This fentanyl manufacturer called Insights, they spent $500,000 to try to defeat the legalization efforts, and they were successful. And so you ask yourself, this company that has been recently fined by the state of Massachusetts, that is being investigated by the state of New Jersey and others, why would they spend money to uh, defeat legalization efforts? Do we think that there's any chance it's for our personal health and well-being, knowing they do what they do, knowing that they're being prosecuted for nefarious acts and their own promotion of their own fentanyl and other opioids? No. What, why they're doing that is market share. In the states like Arizona and others where they've had a legalized effort and they've seen, they've seen opioid use and therefore corresponding opioid overdoses go down significantly. This is not about public health. This is absolutely about profit. And the fact that these opioid manufacturers are losing profit is why they've been pushing back on legalization. More pot equals basically less pills. Opioids are a national epidemic, absolutely. But none of these conversations are we offering alternatives to opioids. That's really where we need to get into to fight addiction. Sure, you could put a five-day lock on my, my initial opioid prescription, but if I just had back surgery, I'm probably going to go back again and back again and so forth. And what happens, whether it's back surgery or an athlete or whomever, these people that have regular access to opioids, when that access goes away, there's often a challenge. And so some of the, sometimes that challenge, people go through an awful withdrawal. Sometimes that withdrawal leads them to go to the streets, and that's where they find cheap and available heroin. We know our bias. You know, my my bias to legalize cannabis because I think making criminals out of that kind of behavior is ridiculous. But when I look at specifically how this intersects with the opioid crisis, and like you said, in states where they have made these reforms, opiate use has actually gone down. That's a fact. Medical marijuana is available in New Jersey, but patients with chronic pain cannot access medical marijuana in New Jersey yet. That's a non-opioid alternative. Why are why are we keeping these sick people from having that option? Right. So you know, it, it from the from the very inception, you know, Governor Christie uh, inherited the medical cannabis program, and he has said from the very beginning he's been opposed to it. And so you know, right or wrong, for his purposes, he has put his thumb on this program and has done. Uh, 
put more effort into stifling it than, to, than for it to progress. So we know that you know chronic pain is what drives people to opioid use. And chronic pain is something that lasts for a long time, hence the word chronic. So it's not just a back surgery scenario. It's an ongoing issue that they're going to, that people have for, for years and years and decades. And so they've been using alternative, or they've been using opioids rather uh, to, to help with their pain mitigation. Problem is, is that we're not really offering uh, solutions to alternatives to opioids. And so what part of the Christie administration has done is they set up a very long and arduous process to have a uh, new conditions added to it. So we've had to fight legislatively to add PTSD uh, to the one of the conditions. We've had to fight legislatively to allow kids with Dravet syndrome, epilepsy, where you're getting two and 300 uh, seizures a day. So there's those have been fought legislative initiatives. But when it comes to chronic pain, anxiety, and a whole host of other things that we are, can regularly get access, you and I could fake an injury and get Percocets within within uh, three hours from now. But if we wanted to go through an, uh, a legal and, and permissible process to get a medical cannabis card, we're talking not three to four hours, but we're talking four to six weeks. And we're talking hundreds of dollars just to get through that program. So, so, so basically... When, in a time where we should be offering non-opioid options, New Jersey's medical marijuana program, not only does it not cover chronic pain, but there are a lot of barriers to sick people who might use it. As it stands today, chronic pain patients, anxiety patients, do, they do not have access to medical cannabis. But the good news is, is that there is an election coming up on November 7th. And I've spoke with both candidates, I've spoke with both of their campaigns, and I feel very confident that those conditions will be added and added quickly in a new administration. In addition to that, we'll see an expansion of the medical cannabis, uh, access to medical cannabis market. Like the time drug makers in Arizona spent half a million dollars to sink a marijuana referendum, lobbyists and Big Pharma, they're busy in Trenton pressing their case every single day. In fact, the same lobbyists who advocate a no-limits approach to opiates they're the ones who stripped chronic pain from New Jersey's medical marijuana program. And when I say the same people, I don't mean the same kinds of people. I mean the exact same people. We've chronicled all that drama in episode seven when we examined the cozy relationship between lobbyists and our legislature. Big Pharma's there in Trenton to boost and protect their interests. And they're also there to crush all the competition, including, in this case, New Jersey's medical cannabis program. That's why they lobbied so hard to remove chronic pain from New Jersey's program. There's just no money in that for them. So I've seen big pharma's lobbyists in Trenton. I see them in Trenton every time I'm there. And they're working against these reforms because they don't want that gravy train, that opiate gravy train. There's big money in opiates. And if people have alternatives, that's less money in opiates. So why do you think big pharma works so hard? It really comes down to the bottom line. Opioid sales is $24 billion in the United States. So we talked about the United States uh, consuming 99% of the world's opioids. This is a $24 billion market. It is not because of science that these that Big Pharma is fighting legalization efforts. It has everything to do with the bottom line. When you have choices between uh, opioids, which have been proven to be extraordinarily addictive, that have caused more than 20,000 opioid deaths annually. So we have 20,000 opioid deaths annually from overdoses, and that's just the pain pills. We're not adding heroin on top of that, which is another 12,000. And opioids are the number one gateway to heroin because we're not really offering alternatives. Here we now have the opportunity. We're going to see next year real alternatives to opioids through the medical cannabis program. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from the sponsor for Heroin Uncut, Carrier Clinic. 
We'll be right back. New Jersey 101.5's exclusive series, Heroin Uncut, is made possible in part by Carrier Clinic. Those suffering with mental illness or addiction need care. New Jersey's Carrier Clinic offers compassionate care, redefining behavioral health care with holistic approaches beyond medicine. When it's time to think about behavioral health care, think Carrier. Learn more at CarrierClinic.org. Today's lineup originally included another guest named Rob Cresson. He's from Long Branch, and like Scott, he is a lot more conservative than I am, which highlights the bipartisan nature of this approach. Rob has a debilitating nervous system disorder similar to muscular dystrophy, and unfortunately, he had a stroke a couple days before we were set to record and ended up in the hospital. I'm sorry y'all won't get a chance to get to know him better today, but he did send this email, and I want to read part of it because it crystallizes so perfectly the point that I'm trying to make my very best days are very very hard every moment of every single day hurts that's my life on a good day i struggle with the basics mobility bathing cooking even getting out of bed to dress myself is a struggle i have chronic pain i have all the opioids in the world at my disposal but those narcotics they unleash on me they cause my liver to fail four times in five years so please Don't tell me these drugs are harmless when used as directed. When New Jersey legalized medical cannabis a few years ago, I started cannabis therapy. Now, medical cannabis is saving me. It saved me from the ravages of this disease, and it saves me from an even greater menace, addiction to pain meds. My life is compromised enough without taking these dangerous, addictive pain meds. I refuse to spend the rest of my life in some opiate-induced haze. They make me miserable. I was hardly able to hold food down, and worst of all, the effect of my personality. I was depressed, moody, horrible to be around. Who wants to live like that? I've got 99 problems, but thanks to cannabis therapy, addiction to opioids is not one of them. Those are the words of Rob Creston, the former chairman of the New Jersey Republican Party. His debilitating illness has left him with chronic pain and wheelchair bound. I've made a lot of points about cannabis within the context of our heroin addiction that I want to review. We covered a lot of ground, and besides, this kind of talk can be kind of controversial in some corners of the recovery community. First of all, it should not be so easy for Americans to access opiates. People in chronic pain should have non-opioid options. Lots of options, like physical therapy, anti-inflammatories, injections, and yes, cannabis. Secondly, cannabis can be useful for kicking harder drugs like opiates or meth or crack. And I know this because I've lived it. Cannabis therapy helps with many ailments, including cancer, glaucoma, HIV, like I've got, and yes, chronic pain. Thankfully, HIV treatment has come light years since my diagnosis, so I actually only need medical cannabis a couple times a month. And when I do need it, I use a strain that doesn't even get me high. These things exist. Like I said before, if we regulated opiates half as stringently as we regulate medical marijuana in New Jersey, we could avoid a lot of pain for a lot of people. I believe with all my heart that a more thoughtful and logical approach to drug policy in America, all drugs, would inevitably lead to the outcomes that we're so desperate for now. We'd have fewer people in jail for petty pot crimes. We'd have fewer people addicted to opiates, less addiction to heroin, and more kids with the tools to make smarter, less impulsive choices. Just say no won't cut it, and locking them up? 
that almost never leads to a positive outcome. In conclusion, I don't want kids doing any drugs, not pot, not alcohol, none of it, until they're old enough to do it legally, if at all. Trust me, kids find us adults a lot more credible when we don't BS them about the actual risks of drugs, including driving under the influence or doing drugs before your brain is fully developed. Preaching abstinence only, that is not credible to them. Frying an egg and telling them that's their brain on drugs, that didn't work. In fact, all that fear-mongering, that's what led us here. A nation addicted to opiates whose prisons are largely filled with people who committed low-level marijuana crimes. There's a better way, and it starts by having a grown-up, responsible conversation, kind of like what we're trying to do here right now. That's all for now. I'm Jay Lasseter. This has been Heroin Uncut, presented by NJ1015.com and sponsored by our friends at the Carrier Clinic. Please subscribe to the Heroin Uncut podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or at the NJ1015 app. Until next time, please let us know what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Heroin Uncut, and I hope you'll head over there now and let us know what's on your mind. What is behavioral health care? Uh, help with their emotional and mental health. I've heard of it, but I don't know. Carrier Clinic thinks differently about behavioral health care, applying new scientific advances to treat mental illness and addiction, replacing routine care programs with alternative treatments and new measurable levels of compassionate care, leading to better patient outcomes. For the best in behavioral health care, think Carrier. For more information, visit carrierclinic.org.